Welcome to the second half of the Deep End Podcast, Season 4. And tonight, we talk about the Christian's responsibility when uh, government or worldly powers suppress and attack and unfairly treat people. I can't think of a more appropriate topic. We're going to get into the life of David, and then stay tuned because we are going to deal with your viewer questions live and on the air. I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome back. 2021 to the deep end with Tim Hatch. Yes, it's 2021. And uh, we're right back at it here on Tuesday nights on the deep end podcast, the deep end show. Uh, thank you for joining me here tonight. By the way, credit to my man D-Rock, who works at Waters Church uh, up in North Attleboro, Massachusetts, and uh, he was the vocals on the music that you heard in the interlude. Great job, Derek. You're the man. Um, welcome in. It's a new year, and it's uh, like we never left 2020 because the problems are still here. The challenges of our American way of life, the challenges of the country, the challenges of freedoms are still among us. And we've got to talk about this, and I've got to talk about this as a pastor. And I want to make sure that I approach the, the, the cultural conversation from a biblical perspective, and then I want you to ask me questions that I will answer live here on the air. Hey, uh, we want you to uh, subscribe to The Deep End. It is season four, episode 11. Subscribe at youtube.com slash TV, And that is until the purge heats up. <laughs> until the purge heats up. So youtube.com slash TV, And uh, you're going to hit that like button below me. And uh, you're going to hit that subscribe button uh, below me, hopefully. Um, Actually, let me do that on the on the subscribe cam. I like to do this. So hit that right there, the like button right below me. Hit the subscribe button uh, with the beard there. And then also make sure that you hit that notification bell because that will let you know on your smartphone device whenever we are live. Okay, so it is very important that you do that and you connect with us on social media. Why do I mention The Purge? Because things are heating up with regards to the freedom of expression in America. And it's not the government imposing restrictions. It's private companies. I get it. We understand that, right? But we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about what we do as Christians when um, we're threatened, uh, when we are not allowed to express ourselves and uh, all that kind of stuff. But before we get into that, I just want to remind you, uh, I've got a book coming out. It's coming out in a few uh, months, actually a couple of weeks now, Tim Hashtag. TimHatchLive.com slash books uh, is called Move, Entering into God's Promises for You. It's on the life of Joseph, Joshua, sorry, and Caleb, Joshua and Caleb. And uh, it talks about all that they uh, experienced um, as God's only two survivors of the wilderness experience out of Egypt and into the promised land. How do we follow what they did to enter into God's promises for us uh, today? And so make sure you pick up one of those books pre-ordered today, TimHatchLive.com slash uh, books, and I would be honored to have you read that book for me. Okay, well, we've got to get into uh, the news because the news is happening, the news is hot, and it has everything to do with what we're talking about in the life of David uh, today. So let's go into the Deep End News. Deep End News, the news you choose if you could choose news. Yeah, so uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, every other big tech giant in Silicon Valley has finally got what they wanted, Trump 
is banned. President Trump, the sitting president of the United States, has been banned, has been completely banished from the Internet as far as we know right now. Now, is it fair? Is it right? Uh, We don't really um, agree with this. I don't agree with this. I think that they went too far. Uh, But let's talk about why it happened. It happened because of the Capitol riots that happened last Wednesday. Um, I want to be clear about the Capitol riots and hear me very clearly. Uh, The violence and the damage done to the building uh, that houses our legislators, senators uh, and congressmen and women uh, and the and the damage done to the building and the threats to the people and the people killed. Number one, uncalled for. Number two, not Christian at all. Number three, not American. Evil, in fact. And finally, totally and completely disgusting. Violence in the name of your political point of view is disgusting. And we as Christians and I as a pastor and as just a Christian myself stand vehemently opposed to any and all violence in the name of someone's political view. Well, Twitter has banned the president. Uh, They have banned the president because they believe that his tweets and his statements have incited this violence. And this is the argument that they're making. The president is responsible for this violence, and the president should be held accountable for this violence by being banned from all the tech companies that allow for social uh, networking or social media, expressing yourself in the public forum. And uh, they didn't stop with banning the president. They banned banned a, a site called Parler. Uh, I'm on this site, actually, or was. It's gone now. It's literally been wiped from the Amazon servers because Amazon has decided to blacklist them. Uh, Amazon and all other servers, actually, and hosting companies are not hosting the site Parler. Parler was the conservative Twitter. I guess Twitter is very dominated. I know, I know. I know Twitter is very dominated by liberal and uh, leftist politicians and political points of view. Uh, Parler was supposed to be the answer to that so that Republicans or right-wingers could have their own view or their own page or so on and so forth. And uh, really what this is, Parler was the, um, the, 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 the birth child of we can't talk to each other anymore. So we go to our so own separate little spaces and, and, and get into our echo chambers. I, I don't like that either. But I don't like the fact that they basically wiped Parler uh, off the face of the earth. I mean, I think this is going too far. I think this is McCarthyism. In 2021, McCarthyism, when they tried to smoke out um, communists in Hollywood and and uh, ban them from working because of their communist views. Man, how far we have come, by the way, because you can uh, celebrate Che Guevara and communist dictators today, but you can't celebrate the American flag. That's how far we've come as a country uh, today. So it's very alarming. This is 1984. Uh, and again, I keep referencing that book. I've been referencing the book 1984 on this show for nine months since the beginning of the COVID lockdowns. And it's kind of crazy that I've been talking about that that much because there is an overreach in what people are allowed to say and do. Uh, remember, we were talking about how they were banning the, the doctor's videos on YouTube who were questioning the COVID lockdown uh, uh, requirements. They were questioning um, the banning of the use of hydroxychloroquine to treat COVID. They were questioning that um, hospitals were getting more money for COVID deaths. So even if somebody didn't die of COVID, but with COVID, they got a bunch more money from the government because elective surgeries were no longer being taken out by patients. And so they had to cover their costs and the government made a way for them to do that. And and uh, so on and so forth. There's all kinds of bureaucracy and red tape that has just been pushed into the medical uh, field of our country. This is disgusting, in my opinion. It is, uh, it is wrought with um, uh, just... Just bad stuff. Just rot with controversy and, uh, and, and corruption, in my opinion. Anyway, we are living in scary times. 
even the New York Times today had a piece talking about how this might be going too far, like banning the president from all social media. Uh, famous left-wing celebrities are also saying um, maybe we've gone, maybe this is going too far. Political opponents of the president are sounding a bit unnerved by the recent decisions of uh, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, whoever else has banned the president from their uh, from their uh, platforms. Uh, I, I have a question for you: Is this the world we want? Is this the world we want? No, this is not the world we want. We do not want a world where speech is silenced. We just don't. I am a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I speak for a living. (laughs) I do not want my speech limited. I don't want Muslims' speech limited. I don't want Hindus' speech limited. I don't want atheists' speech limited. I want no one's. I don't want political opponents' speech limited. I don't want speech limited, and you shouldn't want it either. Okay. And I'm going to get to a very famous poem in a moment to discuss that. I want to just like take us through a little bit of a world lesson. Like this is a historical lesson, uh, historical fact, friends, the silencing, the silencing of political enemies is something dictators do. So for four years, we heard from, uh, you, you know, Trump's political opponents that he was a dictator, that he was a Hitler in the making, that he was going to, you know, militarize uh, the government and take over, and he was going to become this horrible despot who would never relinquish control of the presidency. Well, if he's a horrible dictator who's never going to relinquish control of the presidency, he's a bad one <laughs> because he he's the one now that is being silenced. He is the one now that is being um, uh, treated as if he is, uh, you know, unfit to live. He is the one that is being uh, suppressed. And I just think you need to remember that the silencing of political enemies is something dictators do. Dictators don't get silenced. Dictators do the silencing. I, I think it's kind of, you're going too far, Twitter and Facebook and, and YouTube, and please don't block this video. Uh, but I think you're going too far when Vladimir Putin's number one enemy, number one political enemy in Russia thinks you've gone too far. Now, mind you, For four years, we heard about how Donald Trump is a puppet of Vladimir Putin, but Vladimir Putin's own enemy thinks that Twitter and Facebook have gone too far by banning President Trump from their platforms. This I'm talking, of course, of Alexei Navalny. Uh, He is uh, President Vladimir Putin's sharpest critic. He's uh, actually out of the country. He's avoiding the country because they tried to kill him. Uh, And he said this in uh, NBC News. Uh, dot com uh, quote Russian opposition leader or this is the article it says Russian op- opposition leader Alexei Navalny slammed Twitter's decision to ban President Donald Trump from his platform as quote an unacceptable act of censorship, arguing that the move opened the door for the Kremlin to demand social media companies permanently sub- suspend Russian op- opposition figures. It's pretty bad when Vladimir Putin's uh, greatest enemy. <laughs> Uh, thinks you've gone too far in your treatment of Donald Trump, who you claimed was Vladimir Putin's, uh, you know, ally. Uh, this just doesn't make doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. Okay, how can the enemy of Vladimir Putin be on the the side of Vladimir Putin's greatest political ally? In your opinion, this is all smokescreen stuff. It's all garbage. I don't like to get too political on the on the podcast, but tonight we're going to get a little bit political because we have to discuss about freedom of speech. It's pretty bad when the leader of Germany thinks you've gone too far. I mean, are we aware of Germany's history? It's pretty bad when Germany's chancellor, uh, Angela Merkel, uh, becomes critical of Twitter blocking President Trump's Twitter account. Uh, she says it's problematic, quote unquote, problematic. And she and she says rightly, quote, the right to freedom of opinion is a fundamental of importance. Uh, and she said that she considers it problematic that the president's accounts have been permanently suspended. And I want to just say something. Save me 
the arguments about how this was an act of sedition that he inspired. Save me the comments that nothing like this has happened ever before in our country. Please spare me those comments. Because you are forgetting that it was just a few months ago that the Black Lives Matter movement and the riots and the protests, and I get it, and I've heard all the statistics about how 93% of the protests were peaceful. 93% of the protests were peaceful. I've heard that um, statistic a thousand times. That means that 7% of the protests were riots and not peaceful, and people died, and people's property was damaged, and police precincts were taken over, and entire countries were born in the middle of Seattle and Portland, Oregon, uh, and uh, lawlessness abounded, and the authority figures, the police in those cities were disrespected, attacked, and vilified. I mean, are we forgetting? Do we have amnesia as a country? This has happened just this past calendar year. Give me a break that this is something that is repulsive to you. I, I, I don't mind if you think this is repulsive to you as long as you believe that the riots that happened all last summer were also repulsive to you. And let's talk about that 93% figure. Oh, 93% were, were peaceful. Okay, let me make you a batch of brownies. And let me tell you that 93% of the brownies is good ingredients, but 7% of the brownies is dog crap. Are you going to eat the brownies? Are you going to love the brownies? Not seven, oh, it's only 7%. just 7% dog crap. I mean, this is the first, let's, let's, let's be honest, this is the first right-wing riot in our country, and it's disgusting and it's wrong. But don't tell me that nothing like this has ever happened in our country before. And I also remember that during the summer riots, okay, there was an historic, a historic landmark moment that was referenced to justify the violence. And some people said, no, this is actually the American way. Violence in the name of political argument. In fact, they referenced very famously this, the Boston Tea Party. They said that was a riot. That, was a, that, that vandalized. That destroyed property. So I guess these BLM riots are justified. Well, does that mean that the Capitol riots are justified? Of course not. Of course not. And, and again, we should be against all riots as Christians. And I am against all riots and all violence in the name of your political speech. Okay? But there's far more activity on the other side when it comes to violence in the name of protest. There just is. It's just a fact. And I remember the political, uh, the political figureheads who during the riots justified the riots with their own speech that you could suggest incited the, uh, the riots. Uh, I, I remember Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris, who said, uh, be warned. And uh, I think I have a, I don't have a video, I'm sorry. She said the following words to uh, Stephen Colbert. Be warned, they're not going to let up, they should not, and we should not. I don't want to put that on the screen because I might get... Uh, removed from, from YouTube. Uh, this is a Stephen Colbert Alert Show highlight. You can look it up for yourself. Kamala Harris calls for more protests. And, and this was in the midst of the riots. Again, be war why tell us to be warned, Kamala? This is our future vice president telling us to be warned because the riots were happening and protests were happening and there's going to be more of them. Is that inciting violence? Last year, Jennifer Rubin of the Washington Post called for the entire burning of the Republican Party. She called for the Republican Party to be burned down. This is on MSNBC, uh, on AM Joy, and I want, on the show AM Joy, and I want to qu quote her word for word. This is a Washington Post columnist, a journalist. Quote, she said, it's not only that Trump has to lose, but that all his enablers have to lose. 
we have to collectively, in essence, burn down the Republican Party. We have to level them because if there are survivors, if there are people who weather the storm, they will do it again. These people were not called out. These people were not uh, silenced. They were not censored. They were not removed or banned. In fact, you can go and see those videos still to this day on YouTube, on Facebook, all over the Internet. There's a double standard here. That's my problem. There's a serious double standard here when it comes to uh, freedom of speech. And we, we've got to call out double standards when we see them. And so, I don't, again, I, I was going to play the video. I'm not going to play the video. That's why you heard that. I, I just want to make sure that you understand that there, there has been there, a case could be made for both political sides of people in office and in professions that deal with politics that have said things that could be suggested incite violence. Now, you say, Pastor, why are you talking about this? Why is this a problem for you? Come on. I come to the deep end because I want to hear you talk about Jesus. And I get that. And I want to talk about Jesus. I don't want to talk about this stuff. But it's important that we do talk about this. Here's why. I'm a pastor for a living. I'm a pastor. Okay. I... um speak for a living. And I say offensive things for a living. Offensive things because I tell everybody they're sinful and they're going to hell. I mean, I can't think of anything more offensive than telling people you're sinful and you're going to hell. And so I have a, uh, I have a, some skin in the game here. I have a vested interest in the freedom of speech uh, being a hallowed and sacred part of our democracy. And when big tech, and I know it's not government suppression, I know it's big tech suppression, but big tech is in the pockets of the government. They're the donors to the Democratic Party far and away. Far and away, the biggest donors to the Democratic Party are big tech. Google, Facebook, Twitter, this is the world that has come about. And they're, they're completely tied into our lives. Like, you can't connect anymore without these companies. Google is on your phone when you download it. I mean, Facebook is part of your life if you have a Google phone. You know, you, Facebook is part of your existence. Amazon is, you know, you, you've, gotten, <laughs> you've gotten coddled into this existence of just clicking and buying and seeing it arrive at your house two days later. And these companies now are, are, are almost inseparable from American life. And they're in the pockets of one political party that is putting people in office that are silencing their political enemies, that are partnering to silence their political enemies. This is a problem, and you should be concerned about this. And you should pray in the name of Jesus that God opens the eyes of those who are doing these things to see their duplicity, to see what they're doing to harm our country, and we need to respond rightly as Christians. We need to speak up as Christians as well. And I'm going to get to that today in the, in the life of David and then your questions. Okay, I get it, I get it. You might be thinking, too political, too political. No, it's not, it's not too political. Politics is the study or the, 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 the subject of how we live together. As a pastor, I care about how we live together, and I have to address these things. Now, I, I remember at the beginning of the COVID lockdown, I read a book by Eric Metaxas called uh, Bonhoeffer. Uh, and it was about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the uh, German spy who opposed Hitler. He was actually part of a plot to kill Hitler, but he was also a theologian, and he led an underground seminary of students who opposed the Nazi regime. One of his um, actual Christian fellow Christian brothers who was against him in the beginning and actually sided with Hitler against Dietrich Bonhoeffer because he didn't see Hitler for who he was, was named Martin Niemöller. And Martin, nee Martin Niemöller was actually the pastor of the church that, that, that Hitler attended. And he liked, Hitler liked Niemöller because he didn't attack the Nazis. He didn't question them. But eventually he saw through the Nazi facade and he saw through Adolf Hitler. And it was too late. He went to a concentration camp for seven years. He struggled. He suffered. And he wrote a famous poem. It's called The First They Came Poem. It's actually on a monument in Boston, Massachusetts. You can go visit it at the, at the Holocaust Monument in Boston, Massachusetts. And here, I want to read the poem. He says, first they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I'm not a socialist. 
Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. We've got to speak out. We've got to say things. If you're on Twitter, Facebook, and you're on uh, these social media sites, you should say something kindly, gently, respectfully, but make your voice known. Don't get into arguments. Don't get into debates, but make yourself known that you disagree, that you disagree that this is not right. The silencing of one side and not the other for the same thing is injustice, is unfairness. And we should be mindful of what's happening in our country where the biggest, fattest, richest companies are on one side of the political aisle and and the other side of the country is basically demonized and vilified and silenced. It's not right. It's not right. That's the deep end news. I hope that helps you because it's going to it's going to talk. We're going to talk more about this because because this is um, this is this is integral to where we're going in the life of David. It really is. I want to remind you again, once again, until the purge happens, please like and subscribe on YouTube.com slash deep end TV. Now, let's get into the life of David. Okay, the life of David. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 26. And again, I want to make sure that you know in your chat, it's going to be up on the screen very soon. So keep your chats going. Your questions can be there. They can be texted to 508-316-9333. But make sure that you do that. Actually, I think I can put that up there. Oh, that's give. Support the deep end at thedeepend.tv slash give. The cash app. Uh, the cash tag, the deep end TV or paypal.me slash the deep end TV. But text your questions right there. 508-316-9333 for anonymous questions or ask at the deep end on email and uh, get those questions in as we go through this content. But let's get into this because we are in first Samuel chapter 26. And the title of this message is, or the title of this talk is when the powers that be attack. I want to go through this quickly. Are you upset? Are you frustrated? Are you angry with the political powers that be suppressing speech, suppressing your uh, maybe your point of view uh, or who you are uh, as an American? And, And if you are in that camp, I understand. But maybe you were in that camp for the last four years. Maybe you feel that Donald Trump has done that to you for the last four years. And I want to talk to both people. I want to talk to the left and the right because people are people and they're all evil. They're all evil and all bad to each other. Are you frustrated? Are you angry? Are you depressed? Are you un, are you unnerved by all this? In some ways, I have been all week. I can't. I I I'm struggling with with the reality of our world right now in our country. This is not the America that I knew and that I grew up in. This is not the freedoms that our founders fought for. And and so I want to tie our teaching today to the life of David because he was suffering under a similar political climate that we are. He was. He was suffering under a similar political climate that we are. Remember, David was God's chosen king to replace Saul, but Saul was still king. David was just anointed. Listen to that again. Saul was still physically king, politically king. David was just, or I don't want to say just, but David was God's anointed. And so how do you live faithfully under the leadership of God's anointed when the evil, selfish, foolish, wicked, head-hunting king Saul is in charge, has the power, has the military, has the, you know, the news media, has everybody on his side. How do you live faithfully as Jesus' people under the auspices of people who hate Jesus? See, I don't want to depress you today. I want to give you the response because I think that's what happens here in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 26. I think we have a godly response uh, from David on how we are to live under King Saul. So I call this talk 
First Samuel 26. When the powers that be attack, what is our response to be? When the powers that be attack, what is our response to be? First uh, Samuel 26 is going to seem like a rerun of sorts. It's a previous episode in David's life where he has a chance to kill Saul and get away with it, but he doesn't. Now, the liberal commentators on this Bible, on this, on this chapter say, oh, this is two accounts that were split into two. It was the same account, sorry, that was split into two. No, no, it was two different accounts. On two different occasions, David is given the opportunity to kill Saul and get away with it. On two different occasions, he's given the opportunity to kill Saul and get away with it. And he doesn't. He doesn't kill Saul. Why? Because he has respect for the government that God has put in place. Now, as Christians, we've got to live with that same respect. We do. We have to live with the same exact respect that David had when it comes to the, uh, the rule of our government, okay? Uh, we have to live with the respect that Romans 13, 1 says. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that, have, those that exist, the, the authorities that exist, have been instituted by God. Or 1 Peter 2, be subject to the Lord's, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, to governors, um, to, to uh, the emperor. Later on in that chapter, 1 Peter 2, 17, he says, honor the emperor. Uh, Daniel chapter 2 talks about the fact that God changes times and seasons, that he removes kings and he sets up kings. Uh, Psalm 75, verse 7 says, God puts one up and, tear, and brings one down. Proverbs 21, verse 1 says, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he turns it wherever he will. So we understand that above the king is God who is king of kings leading the king who is over us. Jeremiah 25 talks about Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, this wicked opposition leader of Israel, God's people. And, he, and, and Jeremiah refers to Nebuchadnezzar as God's servant. Romans 9.17 says that God raised up Pharaoh for his purposes. Pharaoh who enslaved Israel was raised up for God's purposes. And then 1 Timothy 2 talks about us needing to pray for our governors, our kings, all those who are in authority, that we might live peaceful lives and preach the gospel. It says this is good and it pleases God. And, and, and he desires all men to be saved. We should pray for our leaders. We should pray for President-elect Joe Biden. We should pray for President, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. We should pray for our uh, incoming senators and congressmen and congresswomen. But here's what we ultimately have to remember from the word of God, and this is so important. There is no king or ruler that God cannot use for his plan and his purpose. There is no king and there is no ruler that God cannot use for his plan and his purpose. With that in mind, let's get into 1 Samuel chapter 26. Here's what it says. Uh, verse 1, then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah saying, is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hakalah, which is on the east of Jeshimon? So Saul arose and went, with, went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. Okay, now this is incredible. David is outnumbered, 3,000 to 600. And the Ziphites, let's talk about this. The Ziphites have done it again. These are the same people who handed over David's location to Saul earlier in 1 Samuel 24. And it has to be especially hurtful for David because the Ziphites come from Judah. And Judah was the tribe from which David came. Have you ever had someone close to you turn on you because of political allegiances? <laughs> Hello? Here we go. Have you ever had a family member turn on you because of political arguments? This is what happens to David. They want to win Saul's favor, so they turn David over to Saul. How unthinkable, right? Absolutely unthinkable. Well, here's what happens next. Let's put it up on the screen. Verse 3, 
And Saul encamped on the hill of Hakalah, which is beside the road in the east of Jeshimon. But David remained in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul had come after him in the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay. And with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army, Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. So David is right there. He's, 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 he sends out... Uh, uh, spies and and he learns that David comes and then he goes to the place where Saul camped and he finds out where he is. And I wonder why he do, does this. Maybe he's thinking because the last time that Saul saw David, he said, "You're going to be king and God bless you and I know that you're chosen and I and it was kind of like a kind of like a repentance on Saul's part. And so maybe David wants to know, is Saul truly repented or is he still out to get me? I mean, he's coming down with 3000 men. Let me see his military situation. Well, he goes down there, 3,000 men, and there he is sleeping, and he's got the spear, and he can see it. And so David does this, verse 6, Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zariah, Who will go down with me into the camp of Saul? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went, with the ar- went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment, with a spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the army lay around him. Now David brings some right-hand and left-hand men, to go and get further recognizance about Saul's position. And once again, he is in a prime position to kill Saul. Look what it says here in the very next verse. Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. Okay. Abishai gives David the offer. I'm going to do it. Now in 1 Samuel 24, when David previously had a chance to kill Saul, he did he. He was asked to do it by his men. But this one, this offer might have maybe sweetened the deal for David. He doesn't actually have to do the deed. Abishai is like, I will do it. You will be, you will be blameless. I'll kill him. Like, you have to think about in your in this position. This guy's hunted you. He's thrown spears at you. He's thrown chairs at you. He gave you his daughter as his as your bride, and then he took her away and gave her to somebody else. I mean, he has leveraged every tool in his arsenal, including his military and his own son, to trap you and kill you. And he's been doing this for years. And here you have a second opportunity. And maybe you think to yourself, well, now would God give me two opportunities to do this if he didn't want me to do this? I mean, that's the temptations that David would have had. Sometimes that's what we do. We say, oh, well, God gave me the opportunity to do it. I might as well do it. No, you have to realize that David held God in honor and God's word in honor. But Abishai represents something here. He represents the impulse in us all to strike at our enemies, to fight with violence, to meet hate with hate, and to do evil to those who would do evil to us. And that little voice of Abishai is in all of us. Let me, let me say it like this. This is very important. Here's another truth I want to put up on the screen. There is always going to be some who think their political aspirations are directed by God. There are always going to be some who think their political aspirations are directed by God. And by the way, this is how you get 9-11. This is how you get uh, uh, religious violence throughout the course of human history. This is how you get this, this, the uh, Irish Catholics killing the Irish Protestants and vice versa. There are always going to be some who think their political aspirations are directed by God. And, and we have to be careful of this as Christians. No, there is the civil con- kingdom. We talked about this a few episodes ago. There is the civil kingdom, and then there is the spiritual kingdom. There is the kingdom of Saul, civil kingdom, Noite uh, uh, covenant, and then there is the Abraham covenant, wherein God is especially selects and chooses for himself a people that are set apart for his purposes. Violence is never justified for Christians, never justified for Christians for political aims or purposes. We must condemn on both sides. We must stand against and stand opposed on both sides of the political aisle when it comes to violence. Anyway, 
That's not Bishai's Arfur. Now let's take a look at what happens in verse 9. David said to Abishai, don't destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the anointed of the Lord and be guilted, guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him for, for uh, or on his day, I'm sorry, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but take now the spear that is in the hand, head, that is, that is, sorry, I am butchering this text, that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. David counters Abishai's offer with a higher theological truth. Abishai's offer was, God's given your, your enemies into your hand. And David said, well, let's measure that against the Lord's word, because the Lord's word, Exodus 22, verse 28 says, you shall not revile God nor curse the ruler of your people. So David knows the word of God. He knows that you shall not speak against God or the ruler that God has put in place. Don't touch the Lord's anointed. And this is, this is how David lives. Uh, and by the way, in this text, did you notice that David mentions the Lord five times? Uh, he, he, he talks about the Lord, uh, the Lord's anointed, uh, as the Lord lives, um, the Lord forbid, uh, he's still the Lord's anointed. Okay, five times. There's another one somewhere in here. Yes, the Lord will strike him when he's going to strike him. Five times he mentions the Lord. Pro tip for being a Christian who lives faithfully under the auspices of a very anti-Christian government or big tech or, you know, corporate conglomerate. Pro tip, in order to keep your mind at peace in the face of injustice and unfairness from the rulers or the powers that be, keep your mind full of the Lord. If you want to live at peace in these scary times in America where speech is silenced, where opponents are silenced, where maybe the guy you liked is silenced because they're going to hold him to a different standard than anybody else, and you get upset by this, the best way to have peace is to set your heart and mind on Jesus. Get into his word, pray, get on your knees, speak to him, get in fellowship with Christians, go to church, worship him like crazy, put your heart on heaven, and put your heart on the people of heaven with you. That's the way you keep yourself at peace, okay? So David does uh, realizes two things, and two things can be true at once uh, from the life of David here. We're going to look at this. Two things can be true. D David knew this. Number one, God had decided to put Saul in charge of Israel at this time, even though he was vengeful and selfish and hated David. And number two, God could and would protect David from Saul's violence, selfishness, and hatred. Those two things can still be true for us. Christian, God has decided to put uh, for the last four years, Donald Trump in, in, in office, and maybe you hated that. And now for the next four years, at least, he's put Joe Biden in charge, and maybe you hate that. You're on one of the sides. And God has decided to put those men in charge for that time, even though they might be vengeful, selfish, they might hate you, they might love you. I don't know for you, your, your per personal point of view. And number two, it can also be true with that God will protect you and accomplish his purposes through you in spite of that hatred. See, this is why scripture commands us not to fear those who can kill the body. Jesus said this, don't fear those who can kill the body, uh, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Your, your fear for God should, should overwhelm your fear of the political powers that be. Proverbs 118 verse 8 to 9 says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in what? Princes or presidents. Okay, it's better to trust in the Lord than presidents. Psalm 118, 8 to 9. Maybe Christians, and I know a lot of evangelicals 
evangelical Christians supported Donald Trump. Maybe you needed to be rebuked. Maybe you were putting too much trust in President Trump. Uh, Maybe whatever your political point of view, you're putting too much trust in those political powers. Your power, your standing, your life, your purpose, your future is not determined by who who occupies the White House, but who occupies the throne of heaven. There, he's in charge. Jesus is in charge. Oh, amen. You got me preaching now. I got myself preaching. Never mind you. (laughs) Anyway, verse 12. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head, and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep. But a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. Look at that. A deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. David was protected even by a deep sleep. You know, God can cause your enemies to sleep. (laughs) God can cause your enemies to be preoccupied with other enemies. That's what happened earlier in the story. Then David went over to the other side and stood afar off on top of the hill with a gray space between them. Two things that David does here. He takes Saul's spear and jar of water. And these are images for us because David is, Jesus is our true and better David. Jesus is our true and better David. Okay, and the fact that David got Saul's spear is instructive for us because here's what Jesus did for us. He took the spear out of the devil's hand. Our true Saul is the devil. Jesus took the spear out of his hand. The devil cannot kill you. God will protect you. If you have to die for the Lord's sake, just know that that's the timing that the Lord chose. But you're never going to die before God says so. Okay? And, and God, in Jesus Christ, has removed the sting of death from you, your enemy, from your life. Just like David removed the spear from Saul's hand in the midst of this great upheaval politically in the country. See, you've got you to live like David here. You've got to understand that, that David, our true David, Jesus, is in charge. And, and then he goes uh, uh, over across the, to the great other side of the hill, the, the great space between them. Uh, but there's a truth I want to get to here very quickly Uh, in the notes, and that is this, that Christian discipleship happens as you lean less on political powers and more on the word of the living God. That's Christian discipleship. You are discipled by leaning less on political powers and more on the power of the living God. So let's take a look at the second thing that David does here in verse 14. David called to the army and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, will you not answer Abner? Then Abner answered, this is Saul's right-hand man, who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, are you not a man who is like you in Israel? Why have you not kept watch over your, your Lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king, your Lord. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch over your Lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jar of water that was at his hand. Okay, two things that David does. Two things. He removes the sting of Saul's attacks. He removes the spear, a picture of what Jesus has done for us. He removed the sting of death. But the second thing that David does is he boldly exposes the failure of Saul's own army, doesn't he? He boldly exposes the failure of Saul's own army to protect Saul. This is what Jesus does in our hearts. He should be exposing in your heart through the work of the Holy Spirit, the, 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 the fragility of putting your hopes in political powers. That's what the Lord's work of discipleship does, to let you, to work on your heart to um, cause you to stop trusting politics and start trusting the purposes of Jesus, the purposes of God. Amen. Okay, let's move on. I want to get through this quickly. I know I, I'm going long, but let's, we'll get to your questions. Keep them going in the chat. If you've got questions, live questions tonight. Verse 17, Saul recognized David's voice and said, is this your voice, my son, David? And David said, it is the voice. It is my voice, O Lord, the King, o, my Lord, O King. And he said, why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what, I have, what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now, therefore, let my Lord the king hear the words of his servant. 
If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. David's proclaiming his innocence. He is the innocent sufferer. What, what does my Lord, why does my Lord pursue after his What have I done? The answer is nothing. He is this innocent sufferer. He is the one who suffers for us. He is the picture of Jesus Christ who suffers the vengeful wrath of the powers of this world so that we might be saved. Jesus was put to death by the powers of the Jews, the powers of Rome, and the powers of the, of the, of the Roman prefect Pilate. He is put to death at the hand of the political powers that existed in his day to set us free from the spiritual powers in all days. And this is what sets us free in our hearts from political allegiances that lead to violence or hating others. We can love our enemies because we know, we remember that we were once his enemies. And we also know that our father loves those enemies and wants those enemies to be saved. Look, the madness and the violence has to stop somewhere. It has to stop here with Christians. It has to stop with people who put their fear in God and not in man. You see what we have here? We have the two-pronged approach, too, to Christian responsibility toward our leaders. Because David doesn't just walk away silently, does he? He attacks, he kind of verbally, he verbally assaults Abner and Saul's army here. He really does. And it kind of illustrates two things can be true at once, once again. Let me put them on the screen. Two things can be true at once. Christians, number one, can maintain a godly witness in our behavior and actions. We don't riot. We don't destroy public or private property. And number two can also be true. Christians can speak out boldly against the overreaches of government and institutions that act in opposition to what is just, fair, and equitable. Pastor, why are you talking about all this stuff? It seems too political. No, we have to speak out about it. We have to tell the truth. And, and you have to know the truth. And if I don't say something, you're just going to hear it from one side of the aisle. This is why I don't back down about homosexuality. I don't back down about transgender ideology. I don't back down of, uh, about greed, uh, of, about sexual morality, about um, you name it. Anything that's acceptable. Abortion. Anything that's acceptable in our world. We cannot be silent about these issues because we have a responsibility to speak out boldly about the truth of human flourishing what what helps people what what blesses people what is god's directive according to his word for his people in how they should live again maybe youtube might cancel us someday that's why i'm concerned because these these controversial issues that i can bring up as a pastor will one day maybe be blacklisted by the powers that be in our country and in our culture but we don't stop speaking out that's what that's what martin Niemöller found out he didn't speak out and then eventually there was no one to speak for him Got it? This is so important. I hope you're following along. I hope you're getting this. Verse 20 of uh, 1 Samuel 26. 1 Samuel 26. It says this, Now therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. David just wants to be back at home in Israel. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea, like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. His, he's humble. He just wants to be with God. Verse 21, then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. Saul knows once again that he has done evil. Saul knows he's done evil, but yet he can't repent and change. There's a great warning here too for us as Christians. Uh, it can get to the point where you are, you keep choosing the evil that the evil eventually chooses you. And that's what happened to Saul. He knows he's wrong in attacking David. That was 1 Samuel 24. He knew he was wrong then. It doesn't stop him though. You keep giving yourself over to evil again and again and again in the world, you will be overcome by evil. That is the picture that Saul represents for us in this text. Let's go on in the text. Verse 22. 
And David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of your young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, your life was as precious this day in my sight. Uh, was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. You see the heart of Jesus in David here? He loves his enemies. On the cross, Jesus fulfilled the picture of David. He said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. While he was being crucified by them. Christians, that's our model. Christians, that's our Lord. That's who we follow. Forgiving those who hate us. Forgiving those who oppose us. The madness has to stop somewhere. It has to stop with us. It has to stop with those who knew they were enemies of God and he loved us anyway. Therefore, we can spread his love to our enemies. How are you going to do this? You have to pray for it. You got to ask God for the strength to do this because it's not going to happen in your strength. It's not going to happen in your power, in your ability. It's just not possible. It's just not possible. And, and, and so we, we, we conclude this chapter. Remembering that the Lord is the God of the universe. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the President of Presidents. He's not elected. <laughs> He's forever eternally in the throne room of heaven to watch over his people even though they should suffer. And, and we might have to suffer as Christians. I, I hate to say it, but we might have to suffer in this country as Christians. I, I don't want that to happen, but it might happen. It's happened before. Um, I, I just wanted to put this scripture up. It really means a lot to me. Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, sorry, chapter 1, uh, verse 10. You, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and all the heavens and the, are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years have no end. You know, you, know, you have to realize that, that the Lord is in charge. When David was facing Saul's threats at this moment, he wrote Psalm 54. And here's what he said, O oh God, save me by your name, and vindicate me by your might. O oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. And then verse 4 of that great Psalm 54. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder in, of my life. That is what we must believe and say and sing. And by the way, Psalm, Psalm 54 is a worship song. It's a call to worship in the face of your enemies. One of the best things that you can do right now, if you're overwhelmed by all this political nonsense, if you're overwhelmed by the suppression of free speech, if you're overwhelmed by the alliances of big tech against the, the other side of the political aisle, well, uh, it's time to worship. It's time to praise God. It's time to give him your highest praise. I'm telling you, if you worship God, if you make his, his presence larger in your life, you know, Psalm 34 says, magnify the Lord with me. If you magnify the Lord in your life, all these issues here on the horizontal plane of earth will be quenched, will be shrunk in the presence of God. Amen. We're going to get to viewer questions. Uh, we're going to get to viewer questions right now. And uh, I I'm excited for this. Uh, you've been chatting, I hope, or you've been sending them to the, um, to the number. Uh, support the deep end. Let me put this back up. Uh, support the deep end. Go to the deepend.tv slash give. That helps us make this content better. We're always working on this content, so make sure you support us financially, not with ties, above and beyond your ties, uh, but 508-316-9333. Send your questions by text or ask at the Deep End TV. So send your questions now uh, or they're in the comments below. We're going to check out the chat in just a moment. Let's get into 
question and answer time. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Okay, okay, okay. So that was a lot of talking on my part. And now it's time for us to have a chat. Um, a lot of questions came in and um, I'm so excited to go through this. This is like my favorite part of the Deep End Podcast, by the way. I love your questions. I love the interaction. Uh, Derek really killed that song. That's not a question. That's a statement. And you are right. Derek Boyd, he is an artist. He is on staff at our Waters Church location in North Attleboro. He is fantastic. Um Hello to all of you, Rebecca Robinson, Maria Silva, shout out Larissa M, one of our top viewers. Hello, Larissa, see you that you changed your name from Chloe and Diego. Uh, let's take a look, see it. The first question here in the chat, though the right hasn't been traditionally violent in their protests, one could argue that the president's voice is much more powerful and not held to the same standard as other Americans. And yes, you are right, Larissa, you are right um, that the president actually has to be held to a higher standard. Uh, the question now, though, is will that higher standard be held to the next president? And that that's already been answered in some ways. A couple of days ago, Joe Biden compared uh, Ted Cruz and jo uh, Senator Josh Hawley to Goebbels, the <laughs> the propaganda minister for the Nazis. I mean, this is nobody said anything. Nobody said a peep. You, you can't call you can call a sitting senator a Nazi and, and get away with it. Does that not incite violence? Um, it was in 2016 when a Bernie Sanders supporter uh, went to a congressional softball game and shot Steve Calise. Scalise. Uh, you know, these, the rhetoric of politicians, we either hold them all accountable to all the actions of their supporters or we hold them all equally unaccountable to the actions of their supporters. And I think that that's what I'm addressing here is the unfairness like for instance to me it's like twitter can delete tweets like that youtube can delete a youtube video like that why the permanent suspension and that's that's the question we have to ask and that's i have no problem saying the president shouldn't say that and i'll tell you this one trump has given us many a time when he should not have said that he should not have tweeted that he should not have oh man and he's terrible at apologizing and i don't think he even apologizes and he never thinks he does anything wrong this guy is filled with character, character flaws. No one, including me, most of all me, is making an excuse for any of those things. But the standard has to be held um, across the board, in my opinion, and it has to be fair. That's what I'm asking for. That's what I think we should be looking for, fairness. Uh, thank you for the question, Larissa. Uh, let's scroll down here. By the way, you got to go to the Deep End YouTube channel if you want me to see the question on the screen, youtube.com slash TV, and I love your questions. Joanne L. Wilcox, scared for my children's future. Yes. Don't be scared. Be faithful and pray. Pray over your children, Joanna. Joanne L. Sorry. Joanne L. Pray over your children. Here's what you do. You sneak into their room at night. While they're sleeping, you lay hands on them gently and you pray. And you pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that this child becomes a mighty man or woman of God in their generation. That's what I've been praying over my children their entire lives you pray it. I believe that there's nothing more powerful in the world than a praying mom. And I mean that because a mom's heart pours out for her children and pouring it out to God. God hears that prayer. Don't be scared. Be, feel, be prayerful. Uh, okay, let's see. 
Rebecca Robinson. Hello, Le- Rebecca Robinson. Hello, Terry Powers asks, should we not be concerned about the possible mandatory vaccine and trust Jesus because it is just the earthly body and not the soul? I would I would disagree with that, Terry. I would say that we, uh, as Christians, uh, thank God for, honor, and listen to doctors, listen to scientists. Um, there is that passage in James chapter 5 which talks about if any of you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them lay hands and anoint with oil, and the prayer of faith will make the sick person well. Well, we have we have sacramentalized, if that's a word, the anointing oil. It was really just a medicinal oil in James's day in the New Testament time. So the medicinal oil was put on the sick person, and you know they didn't have aspirin, they didn't have you know Allegra, <laughs> so they put you know anointing oil on people, and so there was the two pronged approach: pray and take your medicine, and that's my my approach in all of life, you know, especially, and I know there's, there's abusive um, realities uh, to the pharmaceutical market. In other words, doctors just basically write up for anything now, but in every institution and area of life, there's abuses. We avoid the abuses. We avoid the extremes. And in moderation, we take our medicines and we eat healthy and we exercise and we do those things. And when it comes to vaccines, let's, let's thank God for the mumps vaccine. Let's thank God for, uh, the tuberculosis vaccine. I went to Uganda a couple of years ago. I had to get two mandatory vaccines to enter the country. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't squawk about that. I wanted to get in the country to do missions work for Jesus. And I think that if you're going to go anywhere, and if you want to live a normal life, <laughs> uh, and the and the vaccine is mandatory, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that's a, that's a problem. If it's not mandatory, then you're you have free choice, and and you should have the choice. I don't think though that we should immediately. Because this COVID thing has been so politicized, immediately be skeptical of the vaccine. I th- I th- think that the doctors and the scientists are still doing their very best to do what is right for the American people, for the human race. So I would take it, I would, you know, give it the benefit of the doubt in that, in that regard. Matthew Cassinelli. Hello, Matthew. Longtime watcher. As long as the Bible keeps getting uh, uh keeps on getting printed. The message of God's salvation in Christ and his ways to be followed will always be known. Doesn't matter if social media cancels channels that that speak the truth. God's word has and always will be in existence. It never will be muted by man. Amen. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but the word of God shall endure forever, Matthew. Spot on. Not a question, but thank you for your comment. Here's a question from Matthew. If the devil wasn't successful in muting God's word and his truth, surely man will utterly fail. Oh, no, that's the statement as well. <laughs> I thought that was a question because it started with if. That's right. The devil can't stop what God's going to do, and that's, fa- that's true. But God works through the means of his church. So we can't just sit on our hind parts and think, well, God's going to get it done. No, no, we got we to gotta go out and do it. Like the, 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 the nations must hear. Jesus said, go to the nations. Actually, there's a mar- the parable of the marriage banquet when he says the marriage supper is ready, go and invite. And then he says, compel them to come, right? The word compel, go out and comp- make the message compelling to come in here. You can't make it average. You can't make it boring. You can't make it redundant. I mean, I do my best to make sure that this content is interesting, that my Sunday messages are interesting. I don't want it to just be bleh, like I just open the Bible and say, Here's what God says, now do it, and the word of the Lord is powerful enough. No, I don't want to do that. I want to make it compelling because there is human responsibility in the mission of Jesus. Otherwise, Jesus would say, don't worry about it. I got it. I'm going to go to the world, and you guys just wait for them to show up. We have to fight for our freedom of speech. We have to fight, and I'm talking about in the court of uh, you know, the legal way, 
and also in the court of public opinion, we have to fight for the right of Christians to speak the word of God without hindrance. And that should not be a question. Uh, and it's, and and so we have many Christians, and maybe there's somebody listening right now, and you're a young person, and you're thinking, what should my career be? Maybe law should be a—I think law should be a, would be a great profession for many of our young Christians to start to entertain so that you can get into these legal defense um, attorney uh, practices and defend freedom for religious people. It used to be the ACLU that did this. And then the ACLJ had to start because the ACLU stopped. And now the ACLU has been hijacked 100% for uh, the progressive agenda, and they don't even fight in many respects for what they used to fight for. So there's a, there's a real concern of mind that if we adopt the attitude that, well, God's word is just going to go forward and we don't have to do anything, we're going to suffer. Uh, I, I think of the, the many times in, um, in human history where this has happened before, when—, when, when uh, you think of Edmund Burke, who wrote, the only, good, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Like, think about that. It's so true. The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. We have to do something. So I appreciate your sentiment, but we must do something. Ashley, oh, wait, I'm sorry. Arakali, Arasali. I'm sorry I butchered your first name. Velez, the book of Enoch, why wasn't it included in the Bible? The book of Enoch was not included in the Bible. I, I don't know exactly the why. I do know that the Jews were very selective about what they considered Holy Scripture, and that was not that did not make the cut. So I'd have to research that, and I'm not quite sure the reasons for that one. But it is referenced in the book of Jude, which is interesting. Okay, scrolling down, Rebecca Robinson. In my high school... There are kids who change their pronouns slash names because they don't feel comfortable with their gender. Should I respect their wishes even though I don't align with their beliefs? Yes. Yes. Call them whatever they want to be called. Yeah, I, I, that's not an issue for me at all. You want me to call you a girl? I'll call you a girl. I, you know, in my home, I'm not going to let my kids do that. But that's not going to be something that I debate with, with my neighbor. You know, um, it doesn't. It's not me sacrificing my beliefs to refer to someone who wants to change their pronoun to whatever they want to change it to. I think that's just, in this weird, crazy world, just decency, you know. Don't pick fights. Uh, the scripture that comes to my mind here is in Romans, I think Romans 12. As far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all men. Um, another scripture that comes to my mind is when Dan, when Daniel is talking to Darius, he's this pagan king and he calls and he says to Darius, Oh King live forever. Well, that was, that was how you addressed the king. And so he wasn't sitting there saying, Oh, I can't say live forever to this pagan king. That's godless. No, he just addressed him the way that you should be. Or, um, when Paul is addressing Festus, he calls him his excellency. You know, that we don't, we don't want to pick fights where there doesn't need to be picked uh, where there, where for, where fights don't need to be picked. I need to pick a fight with my lips right now because I can't speak properly. Okay, uh, going on. Um, Terry Powers. However, God gave us Trump, which is a reflection of us. So his flaws are our flaws. Oh, I said that last time at the election night special. The the politicians that we elect are a reflection of who we are. And I said Trump was exactly what we have become. We are a we are a um um what is it what, what what's that show. That new style of show is the, uh, oh my gosh, where they make celebrities out of, out of average everybody, 
Survivor as an example. What is the name of this show? I can't even think of it. it slipped my mind. You know, uh, self-made celebrities or whatever. Um, I can't think of it. <laughs> ah, you know, we are absolutely seeing the politicians that we elect reflect who we are. So I guess on January 20th, we're all a bunch of uh, mindless old white men. <laughs> Like me, <laughs> I'm losing my mind. And we just elected a guy that's twice my age to the presidency, which is kind of funny. Uh, let's go on. Let's go down. Okay, Mrs. Velaz, I'll say it again. If Enoch walked with God and his angels, why wasn't his book included in the Bible? Jude talks about him briefly. Yeah, I know. I don't know why, but he wasn't. And I, I kind of trust the religious scholars who kept his book out of the Bible. Matthew Casanelli. Rebecca, my sister is transgender. Oh, oh, this is a statement to Rebecca. I don't support it, therefore I don't call her by the man's name she now calls herself. I still call her my sister and her female given name. Well, that's a family thing. And I think if you're in your family, you have that right. But I think when it, when it was a stranger, sometimes you can't even tell. I'll give you an example. There was this girl in, at the school that my kids were attending who had trans transitioned into a man. She wanted access to the man's bathroom. Well, she had a beard, for heaven's sakes. She had had a double mastectomy. She looked... Head to toe like a guy. I don't want her using the girl's bathroom. I mean, I wouldn't want her. It would look strange. This is If you met this person on the street, you would say it was a man. So, you know, we. I think we have to be respectful to these people who don't share our beliefs. Like what, that's not, our job is not to force our beliefs on other people. And you say, well, that's forcing their beliefs on us. Yes, in some ways, I guess it, yeah, but you know we're Christians. We should be above the fray, in my opinion. I don't. I don't think you have to pick that fight. And if, if with family, maybe it's different. I guess it's a give and take. Uh, Dana Borges, my father just came to Christ recently, and family members that have the biggest influence around him, and family members that have the big, biggest influence around him when it comes to faith, don't believe in going to church, but just having a personal relationship with God. Is there anything you think you can? I can do to help him have a strong foundation in his faith, yet get interested in church and get in the Word. Yeah, I think that you have to quote Scripture to him. Uh, Luke 4 says that Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his custom. Jesus' own custom was to go to church on the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Paul the Apostle went into the synagogue to reason from the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Acts chapter 20, they were gathered together on the first day of the week to break bread. There's, there, is, there, there is no biblical justification for that. This is uh, personal computer Christianity, where, where I have my personal relationship with Jesus and, and I never have to be engaged in the body of Christ. The body of Christ is not the church building, it is the people of God. If you have no relationship with the people of God, you have no relationship with the people who represent the body of Christ. And, and, and John's very clear about this when he says in 1 John, you cannot claim to love God and yet hate your brother. And, and you say, well, I'm not hating, I'm just not going to church. I think it's disrespectful to not go to church, to not, to not belong to a body of believers, being with the body of believers, and then claiming to love God. These are the people you're going to spend eternity with. And you don't want to have a relationship with them now? Check to see if your relationship is this ethereal, imaginary relationship with Jesus, or is it, or is it rooted in the Word, 
which clearly commands us to gather together, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, which was the custom of Jesus and Paul and Peter and the early church, and is the spiritual body to which we have been joined, 1 Corinthians 12. You cannot say I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand. You have to be, I mean, if my, my finger's cut off, it will die. Why does Paul use a body as a metaphor for the body of Christ, the physical body? Because we are joined and members of one another. 1 Corinthians 12, we're members of one another. You cannot do Christianity or be Christian and not be connected to the body of Christ. I'm not saying you have to go to a building. There are many churches in homes. There are churches that meet in high schools. There are churches that meet in theaters. But you have to have some place where you meet. I would take them through the scriptures, and I would take them through that argument. Um, Matthew Casanelli, if you don't know that a person was born different gender, that information is hitting me with this, I agree. Okay, I'm not going to go back and forth with this. Matthew, that's just what I think is right. Treat people with respect, the same respect you want to have them treat you with. Kelly Carlson, do you believe that what's happening right now is making a one-world government closer? Yes, I do, 100%. Um, Bitcoin, think about Bitcoin, this this unmitigated, this not-sanctioned financial system right now that is starting to overtake the U.S. dollar, the European euro, the British pound. These things... These old ways of money being state-sanctioned is gone. And now we have this kind of like global currency and everybody's making up these currencies. And to me, that, that doesn't alarm me that Bitcoin is the one world government cu- currency. It shows me that state, individual state-sponsored currencies are now being, um, like Trump said, devalued, uh, maybe for political purposes and maybe for, for you know diplomacy purposes. But the fact of the matter is, I think the whole COVID uh, experience has taken us one step closer to the end times. I think we have been primed for this. You think about when you look at people wearing masks all over the place. I mean, if you were to have gone into a coma a year ago today and wake up and go about your business today from the coma, you'd be like, what the heck happened? What, 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 what's, what's going on? Why does everybody have a mask on? And no one says anything about it. We just, like, like automatons. We just walk through Walmart with our mask. Three-year-old kid with a mask. And we just did it. We're taking our temperature before we go into business. You ever think about the fact that they're aiming right here? <laughs> and they're aiming the thing to take your temperature? To me, that that's just setting us up for Mark the Beast. <laughs> Some of you think I'm getting crazy. I think that's, we're getting used to, oh, you want to check? Do I have it? Yeah, check. Yeah, absolutely, I do think so. Rebecca Robinson, is there a book other than Genesis that you would recommend to start reading the Bible? Yeah, I would recommend uh, John. You've got to read John. And and anytime I tell somebody to start reading the Bible, I say, read John. John is the heavenly gospel. John is Jesus from the heavens down to the earth. He is the... uh, Eternal God the Son from the beginning who created all things and through whom all things are created and have their being. John sets the stage, the the bar, sorry, really high for who Jesus is, and he makes no qualms about it. So I would go with John, and then I would go with Matthew, and then start reading right from the New Testament. Uh, Genesis is great, but I would say, I would say that Genesis leads to Exodus, and when you get to chapter 14 of Exodus, it starts to devolve into a lot of laws and 
uh, planning for the tabernacle and all that kind of stuff. So it gets very confusing and it loses his appeal. So yeah, that's what I would recommend. Uh, recommend James. Yeah, James. James is good, but you know, James, I got to be honest with you, and I'm with Martin Luther on this. I don't like James that much, and I, yeah, I'm a Bible teacher. <laughs> I think that we get so caught up on James because it's all imperatives. It's all what we should do. It's all what we should act like. It's all how we should live. Well, I got that, but you know what? Before we know how to live, we should know what Jesus has done for us, and uh, I think that's uh, equally important, actually more important. Before we worry about what we do, we have to worry what we we'll think about and meditate on what he's done for us. Thoughts on uh, Talim Short. Thoughts on Jesus flags at the rally slash protest slash riot. Yes, dan dangerously close. Sorry, just unplug my headphones here. Dangerously close to the idealization, idolization of a politician, i.e. President Trump. He is a president. He was always temporary. He will always be temporary. He will die. Uh, he is not the savior. Um, and I do think that there is a lot of Trump followers that have deified him in their minds. They may not say it, but in their minds and in their hearts, they have deified. And that has been that's been pretty disturbing to watch. Again, I like the policies. I liked the I hated how he talked. I hated how he tweeted. And I like the policies. I hated how they treated him. I what I hated most of all was how everyone, every political power player sided against him. And to me, that always just made me like him more. I, I think that if he was more, a normal politician where half the, half the country hated him and half the country loved him, it, you know, in terms of the powerful people, the power players, I think I would be a little bit more ambivalent about it. But what made me sympathize with him was how, how uh, attacked and vilified he was on every side, you know. Uh, Larissa, and the book of James is awesome when going through a difficult time in life was great during COVID 2020. Yes, it is awesome. Okay. I stand corrected. No, I, it is awesome. <laughs> just, I, I, like to, I like to start people reading the Bible where they learn about what Jesus has done for them before they start thinking, okay, here's what I've got to do. I'll give you an example. Romans is a great book to read, but Romans, the first 11 chapters is a theological thesis on why Jesus came to save, what Jesus came to undo that Adam did, how the promises of Jesus were fulfilled through Abraham and Moses and the patriarchs, um, what, what salvation is, and then what, what we all struggle with, and then the need for our, the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, and then God's sovereign plan and salvation, Romans 9, 10, 11. And then you finally get to Romans 12, and then you finally get to... Paul saying, therefore, let's live this way. 11 chapters of thesis. Here's what Jesus did for you. Four chapters, Romans is the 16 chapters, of what you do as a response. So that's why I say, start with books that teach you who Jesus is before you jump into books that tell you how to live because you need to know him. Okay, those are the questions that are on the chat. If you got any more, uh, fill them in. There was a couple that came in on... Uh, anonymously. So I will go through those quickly and then we will be done. I know it's late. I'm sorry how late and for the, for the, uh, for the, for the glitch there in the video earlier. Oh, have Kelly Clarkson, Kelly Carlson. Sorry, Kelly Clarkson. Hey, Kelly Carlson. Kelly Carlson. Have you ever read the book tactics by Gregory Kukul? If you did, I didn't read it, but I will look it up. 
Okay, some anonymous questions. Each state and D.C. Uh, oh, sorry. Wait a second. Questions from, let's see. John from Rhode Island. What should Christians' attitude, what should Christians attitude or approach be with the ty tyranny going on in the country? As Christians, should we fight back? No. I think I made that pretty clear tonight, that we don't fight with violence. We can fight with words and arguments and presentations, but we don't fight with violence. This Capitol Riots thing has me shook up with, you know, the political side that that I would side with. I don't side with the riots at all. But I they went, wait, that's disgusting. You know, you cannot, you cannot make an argument with violence, especially in this country, especially here. This is a civilized country. We must, as Christians, emulate civility, even to those who disagree with us. Even if we keep losing, we lose civilly. And to Trump's credit, he called for peace immediately after they started. But again, they, they silenced him. Lindsey Green, do you think President Trump worked to unite the nation during his four-year presidency? Good question, Lindsey. Do you think that President Trump worked to unite the nation during his four-year presidency? I, I don't think he did a good job with that at all. I think he was very divisive in some of the things that he said and did. Um, but he is a New York billionaire, and I took him for what he was. This guy's not a trained politician. Look, man, I'll tell you something. These politicians are trained. They are squeaky. They are greased up through years of practice and honing their skills to sound like they're not offending anybody. President Trump jumped with both feet out of the New York Billionaires Club into politics, and it's what made him appealing to a lot of people. It's what made him appealing to people that were close to me. Uh, that he just wasn't a politician. And I would like to say this too, if there are young people listening and if you're a millennial or younger and you don't understand your parents' affinity for Trump, and I know that this goes for saved and non-saved, it tended to be that the the boomer generation liked him and the millennial and the, ex, the Gen X were kind of on the fence, although they came around, and then the younger, the millennial and, and younger hated him. And you don't understand why your parents liked him. I want to offer you a hypothesis for why your parents liked him. Because... He wasn't a politician, and they have way more experience of being disappointed with politicians than you do. They have decades of being uh, disappointed, of experience being disappointed with politicians. You have, what, two months, two years, ten years? So I think what he was was a radical breath of fresh hair to the older generation who was just so sick of the squeaky clean politician who practiced up how to not say anything and not offend anybody. And he came out offending everybody. And so he was not good at uniting the nation. No, not at all. If he had done a better job at that, he would be reelected. There is no doubt in my mind. Uh, okay. Uh, questions anonymously. How does what happened at the Capitol building relate to the second coming of Jesus? Is this event another significant step towards the coming of Christ? No, this is part of the signs that Jesus uh, speaks about in Matthew 24. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Well, this is a rumor of war. So this is a signs and then he says at the end of those signs, he says but take heart, these are just the beginning of birth pains. That's not the end. So this is not the end. This is not the coming of Christ. This is not the tribulation. This is another birth pain. And they're getting quicker, aren't they? Just like birth pains in a normal pregnancy. They're getting quicker and, and more rapid and, and so on and so forth. Um, and, and so that's what I would put into that. That's where I would put that into that category of the signs. Okay, back on to youtube.com slash the deep end TV. Missed my question, school indoctrination, Brian Hayes. Oh, thank you, Brian, for doing that, because I did miss your question. Any thoughts on parents who are nervous about their kids' future in modern schools? Are private schools worth the money, or can you adequately fill the gaps, fill in the gaps or correct the falsehoods at home? 
yes and no. And I am totally nervous now about schools. I am, and I hate to say that, because it's not like it's ever been before. It is unhinged indoctrination. It's unhinged indoctrination. Uh, th- my children would come home repeatedly. And I told the I told the you I told the deep end audience at the election night special that this is the first year ever in our history that our kids all three of them are out of public schools. We could not take it anymore. We could not take it. It was baffling to me that the educated among us are just piping indoctrination into kids. Not all of them. There are still Christian teachers, and I don't want to vilify everyone, and I thank God for Christians who work in public schools. You must work hard, but speak up at the at, at the uh, curriculum meetings. Speak up. I think that's the problem with Christians. We're too busy being nice, and we don't want to ever rock the boat. You have the right as an American to speak your peace. It may get rejected. It may get vilified. It may get mocked. But say something. I think the problem with public education is the Christians didn't say something because they just wanted to be nice. They they interpret the message of Jesus as be nice, be accommodating at all times. That's not true. Jesus upended the apple cart. He challenged people. And I think we need Christian teachers today in public schools who will challenge curriculum standards, who will challenge what we are teaching the kids, who will do their own research and correct the errors so that kids are not indoctrinated. So yes, I am. I am nervous about the modern schools. I don't think that they're hopeless, but I think we need to pray for them. I think Christians need to speak up in them. I think parents need to go to PTA meetings and school meetings. I did this when I had my kids in this public school meetings. I got laughed at by a group of about three, 250 parents and teachers once because I stated what I believe. I don't care if I get laughed at. They're, in my opinion, I spoke the truth. They didn't receive it, but they heard it. We need to do those things. We, we can't just sit idly by. And say, well, we're not of this world. We are in this world, though. We are in this world. And we are the salt of the earth. And if you just keep the salt in the salt shaker and you never, and you never sprinkle it on the meat, it does no good. Got to get out. Got to say something. Thank you for the question. Thank you for the little pointing up to make sure that I didn't miss it. Um, Larissa says, I grew up as a non-Christian, a super liberal private school. Thank God for the one strong Christian girl who went to my school and gave me my first New Testament. Christians need to be around non-believers. Absolutely. That's true. That's true. A super liberal private school. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Terry Manti, joining late. Well, no, better late than never, Terry. I keep hearing that President Trump is going to fight and it's not over. Do you think he has a chance of staying president? No. He does not have a chance of staying president. It's over. The Congress has certified Joe Biden's election, and Trump has to step aside, and he has already promised to step aside, so it is over. Uh, I didn't understand the whole January 6th thing from the beginning. I just didn't understand it. He kept saying, wait till January 6th, wait till January 6th. Before that, it was wait for the Kraken, wait for the Kraken. I didn't understand any of that. I didn't have a clue what people were talking about. As far as I knew, you know, if you were with me, I think, uh, actually, if you were at our first Tuesday at Waters Church, the, the, the first Tuesday after the election, I was like, it's over. That's it. It's done. So there was no hope for me that he would be president past January. What, when would they decide, decide, like January 12th? Anyway, yeah, we got to move on. We got to pray for uh, the, the new president coming in. Um, okay. Anonymous question. I'm curious of your opinion of the vaccine. Currently in Israel, they are telling them that those who refuse to take the vaccine will lose their right of movement. If you have a green passport showing you are vaccinated, then you are free to go into public spaces like restaurants, concert events, parks, stores. Is it possible this could be the mark of the beast? Uh, no, that's actually not true. I looked this up. And the Jerusalem Post says that the green passport is a temporary solution that's going to last about a month or so 
Uh, and it's not if you have the vaccine. It's if you've got a negative COVID test, if you've already had the uh, disease, or if you have the vaccine so that you can move freely. That's their lockdown rules. That's not in perpetuity. I think that's just a temporary solution. So, no, that's not the mark of the beast. Um, let's see. Let's see. Did I miss any questions here? I'm just checking. Please uh, fill in questions on the, the uh, screen as I look through these ones that came in anonymously. I am so disgusted. Oh, Larissa, anonymously. Sorry. Oops, it was supposed to be anonymous. Okay, Larissa. <laughs> I'm so disgusted and bewildered by the revelations about apologist Ravi Zacharias. Does this mean he was never a real Christian to begin with? He didn't just commit impulsive sins of the flesh, but years of planned intentional sexual misconduct. He also lied about his credentials. He must have known that his hypocrisy would give ammunition to the anti-Christian movement. Was he just fooling us all along? That's a tough one. Uh, yeah, I'm disgusted. It's repulsive. Uh, you can look it up for yourself. The... Um, the stories that are coming out, he owned these spas and he gratified himself in front of some of these ladies and it was just uh, a repeated thing. And I think that, I, you know, it's not for me to say he was a real or not real Christian. I, I hesitate to say that because he did profess Jesus Christ as Lord. Um, that's a very challenging situation. He's dead. He can't defend himself. Um, there's, yeah, it's just very sad. I think we should just weep over that because that's just not, that's not a, that's not a good thing. I don't know if you can say it means he was never a real Christian. I don't know if you can say that. I really don't. He, he fought so vigorously for the gospel of Jesus. Uh, uh, if you're waiting for God to use perfect men, you're going to be waiting forever. And I know that that's gross sin. That's gross sin. And it's repetitive sin and it was planned and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't know. I don't want anybody to go to hell. I know that. And it's hard for me to say that somebody who preached the gospel, in spite of all those flaws, is in hell. That passionately. I mean, preached the gospel that passionately. That's my personal opinion. Take it for what it's worth. Okay, let's take a look-see. Uh, I answered that question. I answered that question. Okay, on the Waters Church YouTube, Marsha Cavarlo. Uh, finally, I get to listen to this live watching in Macau. Good morning. Ooh, good morning. That's not a question. That's just a statement. Okay. Top Facebook fan, Deborah Zarubik from Canada. Yes, Deborah. My heart is to, is to give. I want to do missions and go spread the gospel. My husband says, no, I'm not allowed. Although I went last year, best, most fulfilling thing I've ever done. God said, go. Husband said, no. <laughs> I honored my husband, first of all, and fell into place. I need to go again, but he again says no, and I've been saving uh, braces, orthodontist braces. Do I dishonor my husband and go, or dishonor God and not go? You honor your husband, Deborah. I, you know, obey them in everything the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, and pray for his heart that he will change, and you have a heart change, and he will, he will say, yes, go. Um, I'm sorry if that was supposed to be anonymous. Oh, gosh, because I know your husband. He's a good guy. Let her go. Why not? It's missions. She loves Jesus. There are worse things your wife could want to do. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I may, maybe I should have uh, left that as anonymous. Okay, let's take a look-see here. And at the end of chapter 3, I'm not going with it. 
so far. I don't know what that was about. I need a, oh, the book. I didn't. Oh, it was not anonymous. Thank you. Okay. My assistant Kelly told me that was not anonymous. Okay, good. I feel much better. Weight lifted. Matthew Casanelli, do you think that Christians that fought in the Revolutionary War to prevent themselves from going back to being under the rule of British and having their ability to freely spread the gospel were wrong? No, I don't think so. Um, but that was war. That was a, uh, and many people could argue that was a just war. Uh, and this, we're talking about a violent act of, you know, attack on a, on a peaceful situation in our capital. I don't think you can relate the Revolutionary War to the Wednesday's event. Again, Black Lives Matter activists use the, t the, the Boston Tea Party to justify their protests. I'm not then, therefore, going to take and use the Tea Party, the Boston Tea Party, to justify, you know, right-wingers' violence and riots. I, I think that we suffer in this country from a lack of historical context for the society in which we live. We are living in a tremendously blessed society where freedoms and rights have been expanded in incredible ways. What I think we need to fight for in the court of in the courts, in the in the legal courts and in the legal battles, the way we can do it peacefully is for religious freedom, the First Amendment, the right of speech. We can still do this without attacking. And again, remember, the riots were not fighting for free speech. They were not fighting for what the Revolutionary War was about. They were fighting to uh, stop President-elect Joe Biden from being certified. Okay? <laughs> I mean, they were fighting against the very Constitution that they live by. It's just the reality. Do, do I personally like that he was elected? No. But now I have a responsibility as a Christian to pray for him and pray that people who believe in Jesus and love Jesus will speak into his life. Do I worry that Christian freedoms are, you know, on edge or in jeopardy? Yes. Our main act as Christians, our main attack is prayer. Why Paul refers to it as spiritual warfare, pray in the spirit at all times, uh, in all places. And, 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 and we have to remember that when First Peter says, honor the emperor, he's talking about an emperor that exiled Christians to another nation because, they didn't, because he didn't like them. I mean, this is, we, we, we suffer again from detachment from historical context because we have so many freedoms and rights and privileges in this country that no nation and no generation on, in earth history has ever had. This nation is still by far the best nation that has ever been on the planet. But it's worth fighting for in the courts, in the legal processes, in the political uh, establishment to make sure that we... Uh, ensure that next generation has the same rights, privileges, and opportunities and responsibilities in our country. I got to wrap this up, guys. It's so great. Thank you for being here. Rebecca Robinson, favorite Bible verse, Psalm 27, verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? That is my favorite Bible verse of all time. I've got nothing to fear when I've got Jesus and the Lord who is with me. It has been great, guys, to chat with you. I love these times. Let me know in the comments if you want more of this, because I love giving you the Bible. I love giving you David. I love giving you news. Let me know in the comments, though, what's your favorite part, because I want I want to I want to do more of what you like, because I like you guys tuning in, and I love the interaction, and most importantly, I love bringing you this content every single week. I'm so glad you were here. God bless you. 
keep the faith, pray for our government, pray for peace, and live for Jesus. I, I don't think that, you know, let me just sum up the talk one more time, that David was, was protected by God the whole time Saul attacked him. And if, we, if David is a picture of Jesus for us, if we are in Jesus, we have that same protection. We have that same promise. If God be for us, who can be against us? I think we'll leave it at that. God bless you guys. See you next week on The Deep End. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Deep End. We pray it helps you grow in your faith and your walk with Christ. If you don't already have a home church, we invite you to come out to one of our campuses this weekend. Check us out at waterschurch.org to find a location near you and a service time that fits your schedule. Make sure to stay tuned for next week's episode of The Deep End with Tim Hatch.